What's good, everyone? Cheats here. Today's episode of the Cheats Movement Podcast is a good one. Panama Jackson, you may know him as one of the original co-founders of the very popular website, Very Smart Brothers, is on the show. He is a journalist, a columnist, a professional black person, if you will, and he is hosting a brand new podcast, Power Season 3, all about the extraordinary life lessons legacy of don king that's right the don king the most famous boxing promoter of all time panama and his entire team of researchers and journalists and all that is go into the ups the downs the highs and lows the origin of the and one and only don king who as you know promoted everyone from Muhammad Ali to Mike Tyson. It is an excellent episode, and I'm excited to bring you Panama Jackson. Before we do that, let me just tell you, I'm very excited. We have now placed every interview of recent interview, basically all of 2021 and all of 2022, uh, on YouTube. So if you've never been before, go to the Cheats Movement YouTube page, and you can see some amazing interviews. All of the interviews that you hear here online will be on YouTube. So we're very excited about that. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and where podcasts are available. And now you can subscribe to the YouTube page. Uh, We are excited as always to talk about the Family Podcast Network and all of our partners. So I'm very excited about that. Please visit thefamilypn.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, follow the amazing shows that are on the family network. So that's all the housekeeping. With no further ado, Panama Jackson, Power Season 3, The Extraordinary Life of Don King. Ladies and gentlemen, Panama Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement Podcast. It is brought to you on the Family Podcast Network. And we have the distinct pleasure of recording this particular episode at the VPM ICA Media Center. So please check them out. Joining me on this episode, I am so excited to talk to Panama Jackson. I call him the homie at this point, professional black person. (laughs) He is, yes, that Panama Jackson that was the co-founder of Very Smart Brothers. He has prolific journalists in regards to his work with the Grio. And the reason we're talking today for this episode is he is the host of a fascinating podcast, Power Season 3. It's all about Don King. Panama, welcome to the program. How are you feeling? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great, man. I'm doing all right. Uh, I'd love to say excited to talk about all things Don King, but you know. <laughs> oh, I, I am. Know. I yeah, am. You know. I'm ready to get into so. it. And I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to lead off with a question that I have okay. never heard answered about okay. the life career of Don King, who is, without a doubt, if not one, one or 1A of greatest boxing promoters of all time. Um, at this point, Don King is 90 years old. 91. 91 years old. Panama, how rich is Don King? You got me. I have no (laughs) idea. He's got to have a couple hundred million. Got to. That's that's the question. Like, we, 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 the the reputation is documented. The fighters he's been associated with, whether it's Ali or Larry Hose or Mike Tyson, 
uh, the lawsuits he's been entangled yeah, he's been by everybody. The question is, if if look, if we know the fight makes a hundred million dollars, and you give it a fighter possibly a hundred thousand dollars, not saying this is true. <laughs> how rich at this point? How rich is Don King? Do we even have any idea? I have I have no earthly idea how much money Don King has. I assume he's a very rich, comfortable man. Right. Uh, right. You never hear him come up when it comes to. <laughs> He ain't got no tax evasion. Nothing. Uh, nothing. Uh, nothing at this point in his life anyway. So, you know, you don't hear about him going into foreclosure on any of the many homes he owns or anything like that. So I assume nothing. he's doing all right. Hey, so I love what you have done with this podcast and this podcast series. And the reason why I love it is because as prolific and almost uh, ubiquitous as Don King is. I think it says in the, you say it in the podcast, like everybody kind of knows a Don King since we've been born and I'm in my forties. Don King has always been present. Yep. However, when you drill into it, there is not a lot of bodies of work that document the life of Don King that document the actions. It's always, let's talk about the rumble in the jungle. Don King was there. Let's talk about Thrill in Manila. Don King was there. Let's talk about Mike Tyson. Don King was there. There's not a lot of stuff that goes through the entire career of Don King. And you guys took on this challenge. Why did you do it? How did the project come to you? Yeah, so I can't take credit for bringing this product uh, project to light. I was uh, approached by the producer for this podcast, Tiffany Walker. And I got a shot. This is a Black women-led team. Uh, the two main producers behind it are two black women. Uh, they do mo the the scripting, the research, and all that stuff. Like it's it's this is a black woman. This is this is a black production over here. Very well done. But you know, like uh, so something else which did the prior two seasons of Power. They did it on the Maxwells and then Hugh Hefner. I guess one of the producers was looking for a story to do. I don't. I can't remember one hundred percent how Don King came to light, but. Don King was decided on for the third season and Tiffany Walker, the, the main producer, the producer for the show reached out to me as a potential host. And I met with them. We talked. Uh, I'm sure I was one of many people that they spoke with about potentially hosting. And eventually they reached out and said, if you're, if you're in, then we're in. And uh, you know, it was funny because until that point, I haven't thought about Don King in over 20 years, right? Like the last time I think Don wow. King was a significant presence was some early Lennox Lewis. I mean, you know, like the 2001, you know, like the late nineties, whatever. The, the, the end of Tyson career, right? Yeah. Yeah. The end of Tyson. Um, and then as soon as they brought that up to me, whether or not I was going to end up doing this podcast or not, I started looking into Don King. I was like, dang, I hadn't heard this name in a long time. Let me look into Don King. And that's how I discovered that there was only that one book about him by Jack Newfield, mm -hmm. which I think is called like the life and crimes of Don King or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so even if I didn't get this opportunity, which I'm very thankful that I was I was chosen for, uh, I got very interested in the life of Don King again because I just hadn't heard his name in a while. So, you know, the, Don King was chosen before I was chosen. And then then they reached out and I accepted. And it's been it's been one of the more interesting projects I've had the opportunity to work on. And I've worked on a lot of things, but the amount of learning and the amount of reframing of a narrative and all of that about who Don King is and how he's viewed and his legacy. Yeah, it's been interesting. 
That's a good question. And I'll ask you as directly as possible. Who is Don King? As you've gone through this project, <laughs> what have you come down on? Who is Don King? Man, I have been telling everybody that anything that you say about Don King is true about Don King. If that man, if you want to call him a crook, you're absolutely right. If you want to call him a, a an arbiter of black culture, you can you can work your way into that one too. Um, I you know he's somebody who is he's changed the game, changed boxing, changed entertainment, changed promotions. He literally is somebody who changed culture in a substantial way, and he apparently took everybody's money on the way to doing it. You know what I'm saying? So. There's a huge range of what Don King could be. I mean, look, people like Coretta Scott King wrote letters of support for him for to be pardoned for the killing of man. You know, he was charged with manslaughter as opposed to like murder or whatever. But I mean, listen, his life is fascinating. Fascinating. So Absolutely. if if you think it about Don King, that's exactly who Don King is. During your research for this project, and some of the amazing people that you've spoken to, because you have some great contributors in this podcast. What did you feel like was, what did Don King understand about people and culture, especially black culture, that clearly white America didn't understand? And a lot of folks didn't understand because he was able to maneuver in a way amongst black people who were the predominant athletes in the sport, not the arbiters at the time, but what did he understand about people in black culture that allowed him to be successful? I mean, I think when it comes to people, his personality is so domineering and so flamboyant. Like you ain't getting a word in edgewise with Don King. He'd probably talk you into anything. You know what I'm saying? He spent 15 minutes talking by the time you're done. It's like, did I just sell that man my house? Like, I think he just kind of had that, it seems like he kind of had that flair about him, that charisma where if he if he get five minutes with you, he can talk you into anything, you know, and it seemed like that's what happened a lot of times because and there was a lot of luck. The time in which he came up and the people that he knew because of what he did absolutely laid the path for him to become who he is. Like I'm not even. It's hard for me to say that. Like there was something about black culture that Don King knew that allowed him to succeed. I mean, he was the black promoter. You know, during the time he's coming up, tensions he, are high, right? Like if you no, can go with the he, black guy or the white he, he guy. Used, he used that. Yeah. He used that a lot. Yeah, somebody's gonna take my money. I guess I might as well go with the black guy, right? right? Like he definitely leaned into it. Yeah. He, you know, he leaned into like the black, I'm the black guy here. Like, come to your people. Would you rather be would you rather be murdered by the white man or by the man who looked just like you kind of thing? You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's that kind of thing. And uh, you know, I think he he's an opportunist and a capitalist of the highest order and knew how to use he knows how to use his opportunism to pad his pockets in a way that made him very successful over a very long period of time. And I'm not I'm not I'm not just saying that trying to be super negative, like you know, it's just, it's true. Like he's an opportunist and he sees an opportunity and he takes an opportunity and he never missed an opportunity. I feel like Don King never missed an opportunity that he wanted, wanted to go after. <clears throat> I think you're exactly right about timing. Um, where we were in culture, there are two things that always stand out to me. And I heard this story a long time ago and it technically in many ways, especially in the sport of boxing still resonates today. If you take a young man 
who hasn't had many opportunities in life, hasn't had many opportunities with money in life, and say, look, they're going to write you a check for $4 million. If you fight this fight, you sign, you're going to get a check in the mail for $4 million. But here's the deal. I've got $1.5 million cash right here in this bag. Now, look, hand. right, right, like right now, you can walk out of this room with a million and a half cash, or you can wait for your four million dollar check. Who knows what's going to happen to that check? But he understood that more than anyone else, because these fighters, a lot of them, especially in that time period that we're talking about, which is, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. When you talk <laughs> about uh, poverty, you know, levels and poverty income, and it's still bad today, but. This is this is your check in hand. I think he understood that more than any other promoter in the game and had the ability, whether he had it at that time, right? Because we we know from your excellent work, he wrote checks that he didn't know he could cash. He signed checks that we didn't know he could cash, but he ultimately wound up cashing. He always cashed those checks. I and I think <clears throat> I think what you just said is probably. Don King was able to get people more money than they'd ever seen. That much is true, right? And whether it's a Don didn't have to say, I got, you know, there's a formula. He'll tell, look, I'm going to get you more money. I'm going to make you a millionaire. Those other promoters, those other people, they're going to get you a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe. Sure. But I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to put real money in your hand. And he he did it, right? Like because he's actually done it before, you believe he could do it again. Who are you going to sign with? I'm going to go with the guy that's getting money. Like you've heard the stories, but I mean, you know, and that, the funny thing is that's a conversation that came up so much, no matter who we talk to, like the economy of boxing, right? Like it's just understood that there's corruption. So it's like, listen, Don King might've taken people's money, but he made people more money than they ever would have got anywhere else. Right. So it's like, and that's the story that everybody told me. Like, everybody says the same thing. And it was like, I, that's why I said about reframing the narrative, because it's like, dang. Everybody involved in boxing seems to understand this paradigm is just the way it is. Like, your money is going to get taken. Why not get as much money as you can so when they take it, you still have a lot left? <laughs> and, and nobody else could do that. The amazing thing is, it still goes on today. I think the last greatest example was Floyd. Uh, Canelo does the same thing. And when I say, say the same thing in, in a different way, what if you had cashed a ticket at the top to fight Floyd Mayweather, Floyd would tell you, I'm going to give you, I, I'm going to look at your last five fights. I might combine <laughs> them. I'm going to give you more money than you've ever seen. That, might, that number might be $3 million. You will sign this to fight me for $3 million. And I know it's more than the last five fights you've made probably combined, right? Right. However, I'm going to walk out of here with 90 million. Right. And I'm getting, take, I'm getting take, paid. Take it or leave it. I, I do think, and, and, and because like you said, I've heard it time and time again as well. Don understood that cash was king. Yes. I mean, you, you, you hear about the game that he, the game that he played with Ali, where it was, if you're in Don King's house, you tell Muhammad Ali, stick, stick your hand in my drawer <laughs> and pull out right. whatever your hand, you only get one. You only get one grab, but stick your – he understood that cash was king. I think the other thing that was so fascinating with me, and, and I know you, you've gotten to this when you talked about his work with Ali, was 
his ability to get direct meetings with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Ali's manager, Herbert Muhammad. And I think the play was the same. Look, the Honorable, you're going to give, if Ali's going to fight, he's going to make money for the nation. But you're also going to give money to all of these white people. Or you could give that money to me to promote the fight. And if we're going to be the nation of Islam, because you notice Don would say, if we're going to be <laughs> the, na- the well, nation listen, of Islam. That's what I'm saying. He got, he got that talk. To, you are going to uh, put your money in, in these white people's hands or you're going to put your money in the only black promoter that's, that can do this for Muhammad. I thought, I thought his relationship with the nation was fascinating. So the one thing that, yeah, absolutely. And, and the one thing that I will say that I think Don was better at than anybody else, and I don't know that I've actually said this in the series, but it's like, or it did come up with somebody. It's like his ability to burn a bridge and build a brand new one almost as immediately at like it's, it's in tandem. His ability to network with people and speak in a language that they understood. Like, and I think the cash is king thing is is above all else. Like you can say whatever you want. <laughs> he can come in there and talk for 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 all he wants, but he's also gonna show up with that money. Like he had a way of getting to money that nobody else was able to do. And he backed it up. Like at some point, you just gotta believe in the man, right? Like, you know, he's he he isn't he hasn't he ain't let us down. Now, everybody and their grandma has sued this man. But you know, at the end of the day, if he tells you he's going to get you a million dollars for a fight, he's going to get a million dollars for that fight. Now, what you walk home with, you know, that's the question. Right. But Right. The fight will, will cost you. Your yeah. payment on paper will be a billion dollars. But he's figured but you're out right. a way. His ability to get in the room with people. I mean, look, he, you know, we, we were going to do this in the series, but for various reasons, we were unable to do so. But there was, you know, we were talking about doing an episode about uh, the Jacksons. And sure. him's promoting the victory tour. Sure. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. how he, you know, and that was because blackness, Joe Jackson wants mm-hmm. Don King to come in as a big promoter to promote, right. To, to promote this thing, like get the black man in here to come do this. It fell apart, you know, for various reasons, but sure. you know, it's, it's you making that kind of money. Black people are looking at the people, like, especially back then, right. When it's like the white man has been getting us for so long we might as well go with the black man who was getting money for everybody. You know, like if we got to go with somebody, we should be going with this brother over here who's getting money for people, who's made a name for himself. He gave us the biggest blackest events. You know, I kind of got this running convo going with my friends about whether or not the Rumble in the Jungle is literally the blackest event of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure where I land on that yet, but, you know, like there's a, there's a, there's a skill that he has about knowing how to get to the people that make the decisions that allows him to get to the money for everybody involved. And those people could be foreign international dictators. It's a, <laughs> like, it's not like the rumble in the jungle and the thrill of Manila were orchestrated yeah. <clears throat> and signed off on by dictators that the United States might've been like, eh. Um, let me ask this because I want to follow up on what you said. Rumble in the Jungle, what else is on the list as the blackest events of all time? That is a very good question. Um, because I know after, you know music. I know you know music. Like, for people that don't know the resume, the, the music is 
probably a one in your repertoire of things that you've written about over your career, right? That's probably I would agree. I would agree with that statement. But it's interesting because, like, so for instance, Beyonce does Beachella at 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 Coachella. I mean, that was a supremely black performance, right? Like, but it's not a black, black event. It's not a black event, right? right I don't so, that. That was that's been my that's been my struggle trying to figure out like we put the rumble in the jungle on Mount Rushmore and I've been trying to figure out what the other events might even be like that summer of soul doc that Questlove did right Right. black from top to bottom you know what I'm saying like that was a the essence festival you know what I'm saying like I don't know pick a year you know what I'm saying pick a year yeah any year you know for for what that might be Freaknik you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, completely, <laughs> completely built from the ground up, you know, right? just the grassroots. Right. You know, so I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm in my That's heart. That's a good question. Yeah. Because the freak neck one. So the one I was thinking of when you said it was, uh, I was thinking of the Quest Love doc and Summer Soul doc. I also was thinking of Watts Stacks, the documentary yeah, yeah. that they made with Stacks Records, but Stacks Records was not owned by a black man. Stax, it was not. Stax Records was owned, but it was Isaac Hayes headline. Jesse Jackson was there. It was it was black. Fascinating museum. If you've never been to Memphis, if you go if you go to Memphis, you got to go to Soulville. Yeah, that is amazing. a fascinating museum. Uh, but I might lean Freaknik or the Hard Knock Life tour. Yeah, you could do that. You could up in the up in smoke up in those. Up I might go. Smoke. I might go Hard Knock Life because they were the first right that did the arenas. With J and, and X, right? That could be true. I think that might be true, actually. Of all hip-hop, of an all-hip-hop show that did the arenas, I think it was J, X, and that documentary that Def Jam and uh, Rock Rockefeller did. But, but you know, it doesn't live in the cultural memory the same way. Like, when I see, you say Freaknik, everybody has a... Everybody, everybody knows. Everybody there's a, there's knows. a thing with Freaknik, you know what I'm saying? Most hey, people have never been. Right. But there's a thing, there's a cultural recall there. And you know why? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that might take the cake because that was completely universally organic from black yes. people. Yep. It was it was 100 percent It wasn't until later that it was, you know, people right. started to come in when and it try started, to take money the over. The only people involved in Freaknik were the people at Freaknik. That was the entire body that created that thing. There were no lawyers. <laughs> There were no venues. There was nothing. There was nobody that was exchanging. Oh, but I think you're right. I think you're right. So you can't, you, you got to say, if you're talking about organic blackness, that might be the tale that I don't know if we could actually tell accurately. Like, it's so mythical and legendary now. And it's like, uh, just recently, you know, they did the um, Summer Jam. They just released a full video of the Summer Jam mm-hmm. with Michael Jackson and Jay-Z Adline and so forth. And that had taken on a life and reputation of itself. And then you get to see the set, Jay-Z set, and it's amazing. I don't think there is a videographer <laughs> that could capture what was Freaknik at the pinnacle because it was just too much things going on, right? Yeah, yeah. That's and, one, oh, and yeah, and one, one last addition to that, yeah, and yeah. it's more recent. Uh I went to Ghana in 2019. Remember that whole year of return? You know, there was a big mm-hmm. movement. Yep, and I went to Ghana then. My wife was from Ghana. I went over there. And I went to both Afrochella and Afro Nation. Afro okay. Nation, uh, that might have been the most people I think I've ever seen. And I've been to a couple, like, I've been to a Michael Jackson concert before. I've been to Janet. I've been to some big shows. I have never seen that many people 
in a space like jam packed together. So that could that could be up there, but That's again, great. doesn't have the same cultural resonance as like a freak nick no. or rumble in the jungle and nothing, none of that stuff. Let so me anyway, ask you this. I'm working on it. I like it. That's just something I think who knows when that, you know, we'll get the answer to that if there is one. Um, would you consider Rumble in the Jungle Don King's proudest moment? Probably. I think it's probably the his from my from what I know anyway, is the moment where the most things all came together to work out in his favor positively, where the end result of the whole thing, because that that made Don King, right? Like the rumble mm-hmm. in the jungle is a thing that literally made Don King Don King. Mm-hmm. It put him in that space. So I would I would probably put that for me up there at the top. I wonder I wonder if he would though. Like I mean, I, I'd be very curious what he thinks of the various accomplishments that he has and where he would rank those things. I think but, at, I think at one time he would have said that. Um, I, I think at one time, if you had asked him, he would have said that. I think now, as you said, 91, I think he takes a – he would probably, and I can't say for sure, but I think he, his answer, whether he believes it or not, would be how many people he made millionaires, how many people he made, you know, 100,000, how many people he gave an opportunity to live a life that they would never live had they never met Don King. That would be a very good answer if that would be the answer because he, again, for all of for all of the misgivings attached to Don King, the amount of millionaires he did create is very large. Now, they, again, they've all sued him. That's how you know they're millionaires because they've all sued him for some of those millions that they, the millions they didn't get. Let, let me ask you this too because <clears throat> you have an amazing episode that's basically the story of Tim Witherspoon. Yes. And we're just talking about this. But Tim goes through the ringer with Don King. Goes yeah, through does. the ringer. And it's a fascinating um, tale of somebody not named Ali, not named Larry Holmes, not named uh, Mike Tyson. Because Don had everybody in the heavyweight division for a very long time. And yes. a guy like Tim Witherspoon with so much potential, but like you said, winds up suing Don King for royalties and, and taxes and money. And the interesting thing was the way that that podcast ended is another person that sees Don King years later, gives him a hug and says, I love you, Don. Yeah. (laughs) Talk to me through somebody like the Tim Witherspoon episode is fascinating. Um, But is that basically a microcosm of fighters relationships with Don King? I think so, because, you know, Don was older than all of these guys when he met them, right? When he comes into their life, he's definitely older. So he probably, whether intentionally or not, slips into a mentor, mentor, father figure type role, you know? And I think that these people all made a lot of money, right? They all got taken. But there's probably still something there because the early stages before you're making all their money, there's probably that part where you confided in Don, or you trusted him in a way that let him, you know, like you were going to him because you needed him. So my guess is there's probably that space that still exists. Like when you see this person, they did you wrong, but there's, you just can't, you can't hate them the way that you want to when you actually see them. When they're not in front of you, you can hate them all you want to, right? Sure. But when you actually see them, there's a part of you that's still like, you still echo the good times or whatever it was that got you there in the first place. And I, I bet that's, I mean, Tyson did it, right? Like Tyson still has, 
you know, he's made comments about Don King that you would be surprised at for somebody who sued him for a hundred million, right? You know, and it's very much it feels very much like somebody's relationship with family. And when yes. I say that is yep. yeah, like family can do you wrong, family can, but at the end of the day, it's kind of still family. So if you get in the right moment, there's this opportunity where you're like, man, you're still my brother, my uncle, you know what I mean? And yeah, and that's you what talk all like. this. You talk all this trash until you see him, and then it's like, man, give me a hug, man. I hate that I love you. You know exactly. <clears throat> let's 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 talk about Tyson. Um, the doc, uh, your your podcast and the series uh, does a really good job of talking about the King Tyson relationship. Um, now that you've done this project, you've kind of seen everything that was involved with the Mike Tyson Don King relationship, and. I do take some exception um, with, with, with some of the portrayals that were out, were out in the media in general, uh, because there is some, some, some responsibility that Mike has to take. But what, what do you say or what's your reaction when you, when you hear the narrative that Don King ruined Mike Tyson? I think it's both true and Mike has to take responsibility for the position that he put himself in right so you know we we do when we're doing this podcast we have this second part of it's like a round table where we culturally mm-hmm. talk about you know and i did it with with some friends of mine who were who i've done another podcast with and one of the people that's there his name is Corey, is very adamant about you are responsible for paying attention to what you sign you you sign a contract you need to know what you're signing right like you need to be paying attention to that i think don saw a vulnerable young man who was very impressionable and there was chaos there and Don understood where he could fit in that chaos and use it to his advantage. I do firmly believe that that's based on my understanding, right? I also think Mike had an opportunity to get away from Don and didn't take it. He went back to Don King and maybe thinking that he could do a better job the second go around or whatever. And it didn't work. So I don't saying that Don ruined Mike. I think he, I think Mike was on a collision course and Don didn't stop anything. Don didn't do anything he could have done to genuinely help stop the train. You know what I'm saying? Like that train was going off the tracks. Don didn't necessarily stop it. He could have stepped in in various places, perhaps, you know, but Mike is also a grown man, right? You know, you would, it's a business relationship, ultimately, no matter how we all want to paint it as kind of a father figure, father something, how they try to portray it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of go back and forth on that. It's a little bit, it's very sad. I mean, the one thing I will say, it's just sad. Like Tyson should, we revere Tyson now, but it's kind of because of his growth and who he, who he seems to be as human. Like he seems to have evolved as a person in that kind of lovable way that we, we kind of, I think we all kind of like Mike Tyson now, you know what I'm saying? Like we want him to win. Do do you know, want to know why? Why, You know why I think it is? Yeah. Why is that? Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, Snoop Dogg. If we're going back to music, these are all lovable American heroes at this point. They're no longer a threat. They're no longer a threat to American society, the way that when young Muhammad Ali 
was talking up. Yeah, the way that we've definitely Snoop, whitewashed Muhammad Ali's story. The way <laughs> we that, definitely whitewashed the that. way that Snoop Dogg, when he first came on with Death Row and Dre and all, they were banning Snoop Dogg records, rolling them over with bulldozer doggy style. For what it's worth, was getting, you know, Congress yes. was saying, and I, I think Mike Tyson, I think he falls into that same category where now he's the misunderstood level. And yes, we do understand more about mental health. We do understand more about his history. Yeah. But yeah. I, but Mike Tyson will never be the Mike Tyson he was, even when he was walking out of, you know, prison that time. And people are, you know, giving him a hug and Tubac is there. You know what I mean? Hey, I just don't think they're threats to American society anymore. And so they now they can be lovable and accepted and actually praised in many ways. I agree with you, and I, but I want to add a caveat to that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Snoop not only is not a threat per se, he's also put himself in a position to be loved by America, right? Like he's out here doing crap with Martha Stewart. Like he's actively seeking absolutely. that out. Absolutely. I think Tyson, maybe not intentionally, but has actively sought out a more mentor-like role in the community. Like he's giving of himself in ways at least it seems like it trying to like talk to young folks and do like sure. even his podcast like he's literally giving game and when you go when you go on there he, it ain't, he ain't no punk you know what i'm saying like <laughs> people are still afraid of mike tyson you know they're still afraid of him one-on-one -on -one. but mike tyson as this emblematic emblematic figure of rage and what hip-hop gone wrong and all that other stuff like he's not that he's a 50 some year old man at this point yeah. you know who's just trying to help out i i, I think i think the hangover Things like that is the 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 Snoop, Martha Stewart. I think the Hangover. I think the Broadway show. I think these things were things that kind of helped. Um, little in in the way that he actually, the way that he actually looks at his life too, where yes. he will tell you today. He seems reflective about right. very the decisions much. that he's made. Right, very like he seems so. very much like I made some bad choices. Yeah, and, and, I, and Don. Don Don got me with some terrible stuff and I did these things, but this is my fault too. Like he, we love a good redemption story and somebody who is reflective about their own bad choices, especially on a public stage. And the interesting thing about Don, and I think you hit it on the head, was we, I, I think we still, to this day, all of us, don't truly put in perspective how young Mike Tyson was. When he, he was a kid, man. When he won the heavyweight title, when he went through the whole kind of, I call it like a first run of, of being yep. Mike Tyson, he was so young. And Customata has passed. And Jacobs has passed. And there's all of the, you know, like the, I think it, 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 in the first Mike Tyson podcast, um, the, 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 the journalist that was around the house with Cuss and them, um, mm -hmm. after Lori Grinker, right. After, after these people pass, she alludes to, she goes, there's sharks in the water. Now there's a whole lot of people introducing themselves to Mike's orbit now. And it's Don is obviously notable and a, and a big time promoter and so forth, but he was just one of many folks that were kind of trying to see if they could get a piece of Mike Tyson. And I, and I do, and, and, and um, Caden is a, is a person that uh, is, is always kind of in the background of these stories.
But the truth of the matter is, I, I don't think after Customato and Jacobs died that he was served very well, right? Early on, especially with his business. And then um, later, like you said, and I think you hit it right on the head, Don didn't stop him at all. Yes. And why would you? I, I, I know why you would, because you care about people, but he's also the biggest attraction that Don King has at this point. He's the next Ali, right? It seemed like a miscalculation, though. Like, yeah. I bet looking back, I mean, he might not admit it, but there was a point where it's like, all right, we got to we got to keep this 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 money train that is Mike Tyson. We need to make sure that we're keeping this. You know, you, you we we say it. I think you know we, we point out in the pod. We kind of like he Don just kind of settles in and watches, as opposed to taking a more active role in ensuring the best possible outcomes for Tyson, which ensures the best possible outcome for Don King. He didn't see and the big picture on that. I think nothing. I think he you know what I think he saw the wrong big picture mm-hmm. he just thought this guy's gonna go keep doing all these amazing things I don't have to be hands-on here mm. I don't have to do this he I'm gonna let the I'm gonna let this one just run itself mm. and you know I think it just didn't work yeah you know at some point like it just it unraveled in the most tremendous of ways you know what I'm saying and that's that's sad I, I hate that for Mike more than anybody right because this is, a, this is a young man whose life unraveled because of really bad decisions and all this chaos and all this stuff going on around him that he that was made available to him by everybody because everybody wanted a piece of Mike Tyson. You know what I'm saying? Like he was Absolutely. just that guy. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, because I don't know if it's addressed in the podcast, but um, when I say one or one A in regards to the greatest boxing promoters of all time, the other person on the side of that coin is Bob Arum and top rank. Yes. Right. Did we learn anything? Um, because that you know, again, that's another relationship that's in bits and pieces. Uh, you know, there might be bidding for the same fight, might be bidding for the same fighter. What do we know about the relationship between Don King and Bob Arum? They had both been doing this since promoting Ali. I saw an interview with them. I think it was on ESPN a couple years ago. Maybe not a couple at this point. Maybe like 2015, 2016 where Bob Arum and Don King sat across from each other on a table and talked, you know, they just had a conversation about their relationship. And I think some, at some point, I think, I think Bob Arum alleges that Don King tried to have him killed or something like that, you know, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Yes. But it was like two old guys who were just like joking about the good old days when they were at each other's throats. (laughs) Like the mutual respect for one another seems to be there, but I can imagine during their heydays, they probably genuinely couldn't stand one another. I'm sure Bob Arum hated Don King more than Don King hated Bob Arum because Don shows up and and (laughs) just literally takes over the division and gets all the top guys, right? And and uses that, the black solidarity and all this stuff, something that Bob Arum could never do. You know, what is is your hook when when Don King seems to have the ace in a hole and is getting money? I think his hook has to be Don King's a crook. Like, Bob Arum made money off Don King. But yes. it was fighters that were jaded or fighters that never came and said, look, Don King is a crook. I am I am top rank. I am Bob Arum. I will not, you know, I will not do what Don King does. And I think, believe it or not, I think Bob Arum probably made a lot of money off of Don King. You're probably right. I actually believe that, yeah. Panama, let me, this has been fascinating. Tell everybody really quickly what this series is. Um, where they can find it, um, 
and 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 I'll, I'll finish up on a couple non Don King related, but but your work has been phenomenal. This podcast has been completely fascinating. I encourage everyone to listen to it. Panama, tell them where they can find it. Yeah, check out Power Don King anywhere you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, anywhere that, that you get your podcast. It's a podcast about Don King, how he rose to the top, how he stayed there. And, uh, you know, effectively, the last episode, there's one episode left in the main series. We're going to be talking about his legacy and what that means, you know, like what he meant to boxing and all of that. And uh, seven episodes, fascinating series. He's a fascinating guy. There's just not a lot out there. Like we are the we are one of the main sources of Don King info at this point, you know, and. What's almost as interesting is the people that we talk to that aren't going to make the podcast just because of editing and things that stories we had to cut out. I mean, we talked to Tom Joyner, you know, we had we had a whole interview, but we it's 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 been an interesting learning experience. And I would definitely recommend everybody go check it out, not just because I'm a part of it, because you haven't heard this story. You just haven't. Like, it's not not out there. How close to y'all were y'all to getting Don King? We got very, very close. Now, I said we got very close to. I don't know how I don't know how close a yes was. We got very close into who we were able to talk to mm-hmm. to ask Don King to be there. What's interesting is that if you, you listen to the podcast, it's not yes. a hit piece, no. right? So it's not like no. a hit piece on Don. So every time we interviewed people, they were all like, "Yo, this is not what I expected." Here's my Rolodex. Yep. Here are the people that I think that I would love to have you talk to. I'll even try to talk to. I'll try to talk to this person for you. I'll try to talk to that person. So you know. The goal was not to to do a podcast where we just talk trash about Don King. No, it was to it was a podcast about giving Don King some being honest. I mean, there's some you know there's some editorializing in here. We're being trying to be as honest as we can about what has happened, but you know, giving giving Don a day in the sun to kind of talk about what he was, what he did, and what that means has been the main point of doing this podcast. I, I think you gave him a lot of. Um, I think you, you you told an accurate history, so. And I think what what the podcast did that was very illuminating to somebody that's interested in it and a fan like myself was you actually use Don's words quite often. Yes. So yeah. while Don King is not interviewed for the pod, Don King throughout the years and where he was at certain periods of time mentally is definitely in the in the podcast throughout. And I thought it was extremely well done. I, I'm enjoying every episode and I will uh, enjoy it till the close. Uh, Panama, let me ask you, because mm-hmm. I will be remiss if I get you out of here and folks who know your work will say, well, Cheats, you didn't ask him about l- where he is now. Life after the very prolific, very smart brothers, <laughs> the work that you guys uh, have done. Um, I told you off the air before we started, because I'm a hip hop guy and I, you know, locally in my town was able to to write a lot of hip hop and, and wrote some um, that was 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 a little bit different, uh, but but how is it for you? Um, life after co-founding this very prolific uh, institution in Black culture now, and, and and where are you, and how do you reflect on on some of that time period, but where you're moving forward? Yeah, so currently I'm at thegrio.com where I'm writing about music and movie, all the same stuff I would do at VSB, but I'm doing that there. And I'm going to be doing, I have a podcast that we're going to relaunch, a Griot podcast that we're going to do pretty soon. Um, you know, the departing VSB has been interesting because, you know, I'm four or five months out from having left at this point, And I don't miss it. 
And that's interesting because that lets me know one, it was time, you know, we 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 maybe accomplished everything we needed to accomplish there. And it was time for Damon and I both to go do our things. I mean, we're still as close as ever. We talk every day um, about our each other's projects and about, you know, we, we we're still involved in one another's lives in, in the same way, just without the VSB banner as the main thing. But, uh, you know, I am so appreciative of everything that that we got out of VSB, that I got out of VSB. I mean, when we created that space, I never could have imagined what it would have turned into. Like I never in my wildest dreams could have thought it would have led to me being a full-time writer, somebody who got to go speak at all these universities and all these different places and share just my thoughts. Like I literally get paid for my thoughts at this point. And they're not thoughts people are giving to me. I'm not asked to write this. I'm just coming up with stuff and thinking, you know, like that's, there's a certain freedom and appreciation I have. So, you know, greatest thing up professionally, Very Smart Brothers has been a dream. It's still in our hearts. You know what I mean? Like we're never going to let that go, but physically I'm just not there no more. But man, it's, it, what a ride. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what awesome. a ride, what an opportunity and doing the most with an opportunity. Like we literally got everything I think we could have, maybe not everything. There are definitely things we left on the table, but we got a lot out of it and we were able to do some amazing things because of it. So I will forever be indebted to what Damon and I created and, you know, thank people like yourself who, who read VSB. Like we would never be where we are without everybody who read, everybody who commented that comment section that we created right. that, that people showed up for more than us half the time. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's there's gonna have to be a documentary at some point about VSB yeah. and 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 what it was and what it is. I've, I've been working behind the scenes on on ideating that a bit. I'm not sure ideating is a word, but I've been working <laughs> behind the scenes. I was gonna let you. I was bit. gonna let you roll with it. Listen, it I, sounded like it worked. Hey, I so the funny thing about that time period and obviously that platform is, I think it took me a a a while to truly understand it because at one point I looked at it almost similar to like an onion type place. And that's, mm -hmm. I actually, in retrospect, and as I got more and more into the community and culture, I did, I found that that wasn't that at all. What I found yes. it was, was much more of a, a take a, like a mirror on what was actually happening. Like you, onion just makes up stuff. Right, like just make up stuff and it's funny, but what Very Smart Brothers did, which was so um, I think endearing, was it took real situations and in many ways gave you like the truth in comedy. If you've ever seen, like, it's like you'll see like you know Chris Rock's Bring the Pain and it's hilarious, but it's hilarious because half like more than all of it is like true. It's just like right. the truth that we took. And I always, I always thought early on, I, I, I always appreciate it, but I always missed until much later and I got mature and I started, like you said, getting into the comedy. I was like, oh no, this is a real story. It's just the way that Animal writes about it or the way that uh, Damon wrote about it. It was like, it was, it was this like truth, but it's also hilarious in many ways. So yeah, it was a special place, man. We did some cool things. Uh, you know, we, we impacted, and I think as a, as an outlet, as a space, that's all you can ask for, right? To, to have matter. Like when you leave people notice, you know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And uh, I think we were able to do that. So I do not take that for granted that we were able to be a space that did that, that, that genuinely made a difference in some way, shape or form. Animal, what's next? Uh, working on a book proposal. So hopefully I'm, hopefully I can finally get that done, but i really enjoyed the narrative podcast space. I mean, this has been a great experience. It's been a great learning experience and hopefully there are other stories I can tell, but you know, I'm going to keep writing and, and hopefully there are other arenas that I can get into. Um, you know, maybe TV and stuff like that. Maybe there are other things that I haven't been able to do yet in the way that I would like, uh, but for right now, I'm just going to keep writing. So keep checking me out over at thegrio.com, uh, writing about our culture, you know, writing about blackness and what's happening in the culture and family and music and TV and just whatever's out there. You know what I mean? Like, I take I take great pride in the ability to document black culture, you know, in a non-traditional way. I'm not necessarily reporting stories and more or less writing about how it feels when stuff happens or writing about stuff that otherwise people might not be writing about and I take great pleasure and 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 joy in being able to do that for a living well you do it well you've done it well for years and I'm sure you will continue to do it well ladies and gentlemen this is Panama Jackson the podcast is power Don King make sure you check it out and we will be right back thank you brother thank you for this interview appreciate you brother we'll be right back after this Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. I want to thank Panama Jackson again. Please follow him on Twitter. Follow him on social media. He is an excellent, excellent follow. And follow his work on thegrio.com is where you'll find all of his columns. Panama Jackson, Power, Season 3, Don King. It is extraordinary. Again, before I get out of here, we have to thank the VPM ICA Community Media Center. It is an amazing community center on the second floor of the ICA. Make sure you check that out. And while you're at it, please visit the ICA. Also, visit the Family Podcast Network, thefamilypn.com. We're up to 13 wonderful podcasts. You can learn more about them all by subscribing to the Family PN. We're very excited about that. So please do that. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. I hope you're enjoying these podcasts as much as I am I really truly believe we're doing some of the we're having some of the best conversations I've ever had so until next time we see it yeah yo yo I'm trying to play leaving right see you at the end bro.